Good morning. Welcome. We're glad you're here. And there are guests. We're glad our guests here this morning. My name is Steve White, and we're here to honor the Lord together and uh, to be a good recipient of his word. Uh, let's uh, sit in silence for a bit and get our hearts ready. <clears throat> Thank you for being a father in whom we find rest for our lives through Christ. Amen. Well, it's that time. Thanksgiving is uh, closed. It's a great prelude, though, to this season. Uh, we are grateful to this God who has taken note of us and who reaches to us. And a lot of things have to do with Christmas, including gift giving, which I personally like to do. I like to get to, but I like to give as well. And uh, this past Friday, Black Friday, broke records. Spending-wise, we spent $7.9 billion on Black Friday. That is hard. That's hard to understand. And I realize that we can go overboard and we get uh, too commercialized. I get all that. But I'm also thankful for just the pleasure of giving gifts. And I just, I want to be careful, but I don't want to grow cynical either uh, in, our, in our Christmas celebration. We want to celebrate well. And that's why it's good to be in the Word and be here together. Uh, actually, gift giving didn't start with Christmas celebration. It was a pagan, uh, a pagan thing that was done in Rome when they celebrated the god Saturn. They did that in December 19th to the 23rd every year, and they celebrated God by giving gifts. Constantine, the emperor, became a Christian in 312 AD, and when he did, so as not to appear too radical, he adopted that practice of gift giving and applied it to then the Christmas season, and that's why we give gifts today. Actually, I thought we should do a little quiz today, so I'll give you the toy Toy of the decade, and you tell what toy, what you, what decade the toy was the toy of the decade. We, what decade? Two thousands, two thousands. All right, GI Joe, sixties. Yes, I had one. Mr. Potato Head. Oh, fifties, fifties. Patsy got it right here. Everybody knows the Cabbage Patch. Most ridiculous looking thing I've ever seen. Shirley Temple dolls. 30s. Yeah, somebody said 30s. 80s. 30s. Teddy bear. 70s. I'm a teddy bear. Jessica, you're out of control. Okay. <laughs> okay. Teddy bear, when? 1910s. The 1910s. All right. Elmo. 90s. 90s. Uh, and I have a horror story. I've already told that one. Star Wars figures. 70s, 70s, slinky, 40s, 40s, that's right, I broke every one, didn't you, yo-yo, 20s, right, the 20s, right, we've been yo-yoing a long time, haven't we? When the Apostle Paul was writing his second letter to the Corinthian believers, he was talking about generosity. That's the context. We just talked about generosity at the beginning of November for three sermons about we were to grow. One of the evidences that Christ is alive as we grow, alive in us as we grow in generosity. We let go of things we have and we, we invest in kingdom purposes. And Paul's writing about that to the Corinthian believers. And he gets down to the, 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 finally the closing statement he wants to make. And he says this, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. 
Now, Paul is being inspired by the Holy Spirit. Inspired means to be God-breathed. God's breathing into him what he wants him to write, the truth he wants him to write. But God also uses the individual's talents and abilities, giftedness, uh, experiences to write the truths. And my picture is that, that Paul gets to this statement. Thanks be to God for his gift. No, 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 no. Thanks be to God for his And how many adjectives did Paul have to write before he was satisfied? My guess is that he spent a long time trying to find the right word. Now, Shakespeare was a literary genius. He brought us words like downstairs and critical and leapfrog. Shakespeare coined some 422 words that are a part of our English language today. When he couldn't find a word, he made one up, and it stuck. The Apostle Paul gets to this one statement, and he cannot find a fitting adjective for this gift of gifts. So finally, he just uses a word found nowhere else in the New Testament, indescribable. Some translations have inexpressible or unspeakable. It's the gift of gifts, the gift of a lifetime and beyond, the gift of God's love in the form of a baby, a baby who would grow to be the Savior of the world and the Lord of our lives today, whose blood has cleansed us from all unrighteousness, who's given us a reason to live and a reason by which we can look forward to tomorrow no matter what happens. So Dr. Luke in the first century writes in the biography of Jesus, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. How odd, how striking for God to come in such a way a way that would make Paul struggle with the right word to write. Eric Clapton sang more than words. Uh, Paul would write, there are no words, no fitting adjectives. So I want to challenge us as we begin this Christmas season to just return to the basics, to come back to the heart of our message, the heart of our lives, the core of our lives, I want us to revisit the wonder of Christmas this season with all that has to be done, with all the traveling we'll do, with all the buying, the decorating, with all that we'll do, which is all good stuff. I love all that. But I want, us to make sh- I want to make sure we don't miss the wonder of what happened. That little baby was wrapped in cloths and placed in a feeding trough. But he also came wrapped and three other things. He came wrapped in prophecy, for one thing. God just didn't suddenly drop Jesus Christ into the world. He, he, he had a plan. In fact, the Bible tells us that before the foundations of the world, God had our salvation in mind. He knew what he was going to do. And some people wonder, well, why would God, why would crea- create a world like this? Why? Well, he didn't create a world like this. He created a perfect world. And he knew we would ruin it. And he made a way by by which this world would be redeemed. And so he prepared the world through prophets who foretold hundreds of prophecies 
about what was to come. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, in Jesus' ministry, I never know a time when he was literally called any one of those things. But that was the very nature of his ministry. That's the kind of person that he was. A child was to be born to us, Israel. Isaiah is announcing to his people 700 years before Jesus the Messiah is born. He's saying, Zion, I want you to be ready. Jerusalem, keep your eyes open. Heaven is going to give us a son, and the government will be on his shoulders, and the increase of that government will have no end. And it doesn't. Today around the world, regardless of what you're surrounded with, at work, or your neighborhood, your school, your campus, whatever is happening, the, God, the government of God is increasing in the world. That there are great discipleship movements happening in the world. In the last 15 years alone, uh, 15,000 believers have come to Christ in one, anger, in one African nation. That escape, escapes me right now. But discipleship movements are happening here. Muslims are coming to Christ left and right in the world as the gospel is being presented. His government is increasing, but it's also increasing in your life and my life. The increasing of his government happens as we come under his lordship. And when we come under his lordship and we let his government rule, it changes the way we love our spouses. It changes the way we love our children. It changes the way we view life and through people that frustrate us. It changes the way we make decisions or the way we, it changes our speech pattern. It changes our thoughts and our motivations, our goals, our dreams, our ideal. There's no one part of us where God's government does not touch and affect of the increase of his government in your life and mine in the world, there is no end. His government is majestic, and we experience that over and over. His peace continues to impact our lives, and we experience that righteousness in us as well. No one fits this description that Isaiah is writing about other than Messiah itself, born, born, born to us. And a remnant of Jews always believed this. Even though most of the Jews were disobedient, even though most of the Jews were blinded to his coming, there was always a remnant who believed. And Isaiah himself is at a loss for elsewhere. In his prophecy, he says, God, who's going to believe our message? Who's going to believe this report? And when God calls Isaiah to preach this prophecy, God even, God even answers him. I say, well, no one, frankly, you know, no one's going to believe what you have to say, Isaiah, but I want you to keep telling it anyway. I have people say to me, and I get frustrated too. It seems like, you know, I try to talk to people about Jesus. Nobody's interested. God says, you talk to him anyway. You don't stop. Just like he told Isaiah, you don't stop loving people. You don't stop trying to communicate. You don't stop trying to extend yourself. We keep doing it because that's what we are commanded to do. So that's what we do. And what's he going to be like? This is what he says in chapter 11 of his prophecy. A shoot will come up out of the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what, by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. And aren't you glad for that? Because that's how we judge each other. By what we see, by what we hear, 
And we make, our, we make our analysis about people by what we see in them and what we hear. Not this God who sees deeply into us. And you know what he sees in me? He sees, he sees without him there, he sees blackness. He sees sin. He sees my rebellion. He sees all the ways I have, 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 have stood against him and not been obedient to him. The sins I've committed against him as well as the ones I haven't done, I'm supposed to. But praise God by the blood of Jesus. He, he washes us clean and he looks into our hearts and he's a king of righteousness. And he takes his righteousness by the cross and he imputes it onto you and me. So we are children of God. That's this Messiah. That's this Christ who is born to us. You want hope? You cannot have the hope you need to have on your own. Do not depend on your business success. Do not depend on the success of your children. Do not depend on the, on the name you might make for yourself or the money you may get or whatever you're going to do, whatever title you have. Do not dare depend on those things. They have nothing to do with you standing before the Almighty God one day. All of us will only claim appeal based on the blood of Jesus and God's grace on our lives. With righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. And he will do that when he returns. There will be a great judgment. And those will fall under that rod who weren't prepared for his coming. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his, around his waist. There was nothing striking about him. He didn't glow. He didn't float. He didn't wear white clothes that never got dirty. He didn't have anything about it as appearance. There was nothing, nothing that would call people to, be, uh, to, to give him attention. He was a carpenter's son. He drove nails like other carpenters. No one gave him any great esteem because of that. In fact, the Bible says he came to his own, the Jews, and they didn't receive him. Yet he became a man of sorrows, the Bible says. He was acquainted with grief. He exercises perfect righteousness. His rapping surprised the people of that day because he didn't come as a political savior as they expected. He didn't come with troops and armies and a palace. That's why the disciples themselves close to him wondered when it was going to happen. That's why when nothing happened, when Judas saw it was going to happen, that's why he betrayed him to get something out of this following Jesus. So he betrayed him for those pieces of silver and realized what he had done later on. How do you wrap an indescribable gift? Prophet Micah wrote, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Imagine a rabbi getting up in that intertestamental period at the end of the Old Testament, before the New Testament, before Jesus was born. There's 400 years gap in there. Imagine, imagine rabbi after rabbi standing in front, reading the scroll of Micah, and a remnant of Jews thinking, God hasn't forgotten He's going to come. And kids born and died, born and died, born and died. You know, being taught the Messiah's coming, they never got, they never got to understand what we get to understand today, that Messiah has come. And he was born in his salvation we experience today. He was born in the sleepy village of Bethlehem. Yes, that baby was wrapped in cloths. He was, he was wrapped in prophecy. He was also wrapped in ministry, in, in, in history. God came to us wrapped in history He's always at work. He's always bringing to completion the things that he begins. Even the work in you, the Bible says. 
You get frustrated with your lack of growth, that you don't mature any faster than you do. There may be a number of reasons for that. The main one may be you're not, you're not even trying hard enough. Maybe you're not spending time in the Word or in prayer or whatever it is. You know, we're, we're, we have to do, we have to put out some effort as well. The God who began a good work in us wants to carry it on to completion. And it's up to us to align ourselves right to let him work in the way he wants to. Galatians 4, 4 says this. When the time had, when the, but when the set time had fully come. Some translations say when the time was just right. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Right on schedule, God did what only God could do. He wove together prophecies with history without tampering with free will. Only God could do what he did to take, take all this foreknowledge that he had. He has complete foreknowledge of everything about your life, but he doesn't plan your life out. He doesn't plot it. You get to make choices. But at the same time, he has a desire for you. He has a, he has a desire for the world that we would know Jesus Christ. And so, so that's what he did. And so when the time was just right, what does that even mean? I suggest to you that God, how many of you hosted for Thanksgiving? You might get there early, early than you expected. Did, did, did you freak out? Did you freak out when somebody showed up early? You know, sometimes people do who are hosting. You know, they, you say, get, yeah, yeah, we'll eat about three, and they show up at 11. You think, what? You know, we like you, but not that much. You know, let me get this done. When I was, when we were younger and married, we traveled to Diana's aunt in Elgin, Illinois, in the, other, in the Chicago area every year for Thanksgiving or often on Thanksgiving. And one year, we, we got there about two or three hours early. It was a long drive. We had one or two little kids in the car. We'd driven from Cincinnati up there. We got to the door and knocked. She goes, you can't come in. I'm not ready yet. It's okay. She goes, just drive around for a while. So we drove around for a couple hours, kept checking in. Can we come now? Can we come now? And finally, we got to go in, you know. But she didn't want anybody there early. And within a half an hour, I mean, she'd tell us everything we're going to eat for the next three days. And she, she, would just, she, would just, she would treat us like kings when we were there. We loved going there. When Jesus was born, God timed it. Per- when the time was just right, Jesus wasn't born too early. And he wasn't born too late. There was no birth induced here. It was the time he wanted Jesus to be born. And so... God used Israel to get the world ready. He used Israel by calling Abram Abram out of Ur, this place in the Mesopotamian River Valley between the Tigris and the Euphrates. He says, Abram, I I want you to go where I'm going to lead you. Abram came out of a a family that worshipped many gods. And he said, okay, where are we going? I'm not telling you. You just go, pack up, leave. I'll tell you as we're going. Little did Abram know what was in store for him because he was going to have a special child, a miraculously born child by the name of Isaac. And eventually, Abram was going to be the father of the Jewish nation. And eventually, of course, they get into slavery in Egypt for 400 years. God calls Moses to get them out of slavery. And then he gives them 10 principles by which he wants them to live together as a unique people, different from all the nations of the world, the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. I want you to be a people for my own possession, he says. And I want you to live. And the key was isolation. That's the key word in this part of Jewish history. You're going to live as an isolated people, separate, distinct, a home 
holy people, completely different from any other nation of the world. I want you to show the other nations of the world what it looks like to live under my reign, under my rule. But in time, the people grew hard-hearted. They wanted to do their own thing their own way, just like you and I tend to do. They, they, they all, like sheep, had gone astray, just like you and I have gone astray. And they started flirting with other gods. And, and God sent prophet after prophet to warn them. But they continued to do their own thing. And finally, he said, okay, enough. And so he raised up a foreign nation by the name of the Assyrians, who came in in 722 B.C., and the northern kingdom of Israel fell. And God saw that they were taken away captive some 150 years later in 586 B.C. He raised up another foreign nation, the Babylonians, and they came in. And the rest of the God's people were carried a thousand miles away into captivity as well. But everywhere the Jews went, there was always a remnant. There was always a remnant who knew that they wanted to serve God with all they had. And that there was a Messiah going to eventually come. That somehow God's plan was not going to be thwarted by the disobedience of most of the nation of Israel. And God did bring them back. But everywhere they had been dispersed. Because that's the second part of how God used them. First isolation and then dispersion. Wherever they went, they, 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 they planted the seeds of this idea of a one God. Because remember that important statement they would always say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That was foreign in a polytheistic society where there were, so, there were more gods than you could even name or remember. You know what to do with all these gods. But everywhere the Jews went, they were planting the seeds. There's only one God worthy of serving there's only one God worthy of worshiping. And so God used the Jews to be his own chosen people, separate from the world, that they may in time get the, help get the world ready by, by helping the nation struggle with this thought, is there only one God? But that's not all. God used the Greeks to get the world ready for his arrival because... It was a world of multiple languages, beginning with the Tower of Babel, when people were trying to get reached to heaven, remember? And God confused their languages, and all these languages developed. And God raised up a great commander out of Macedon by the name of Alexander. And Alexander conquered the known world at the time. And everywhere he went, Greek culture traveled with him when they conquered the world, including the Greek language. 300 years before the Messiah was born, God used Alexander to spread the Greek culture so that by the time Jesus was born, the common language of the people was Koine Greek, a common street language in the, in the, life, in the lives of these people in this little land of Israel. The language of Athens was heard around the, world, the known world. 300 years it began before, before Jesus was born. Every book in the New Testament is written an original Greek language, an ancient language for us today. The Apostle Paul could, could stand and speak this one language in Athens on Mars Hill, as well as in the marketplace of Corinth, and also at the, in the amphitheater in Ephesus, and also in the Mamertine prison in Rome. He could write letters from prison because of this language that God brought to the world, the Greek language, the gospel could be communicated more readily. But that's not all. God used Rome to get the world ready for his arrival. With physical force, Rome came to power. They conquered the world. They were the new world conqueror. And without knowing it, these emperors came to executive power, and God used them. Because as they looked at the massive empire, they began to dream about what could happen, and they developed this great road system. 
I remember being a little boy eating those cheap box pizzas. And I remember one brand. It wasn't Chef Boyardee mom always bought, but she bought Apian Way. Anybody remember Apian Way pizza? All I thought was a cheap pizza. I didn't know there was anything to it. What's Apian Way? It's a main thoroughfare of Rome in that day. In the first century, it's one of the main highways of that day. And there were other great, the great roads that were established as well. So the gospel could travel more readily to the remotest parts of the Roman Empire. God was using all these three nations, wind, binding them together, weaving them together with the prophecy, so that just the right time, Christ would be born to the world. Only our God could do something like that. I like what... Uh, Jay Kessler writes, it's a little dated, but you'll get the idea. Most people, when they think of Christmas, think of camels, swaddling clothes, and a manger. But I think of a Ford Motor plant. One year, I toured a plant and watched them assemble cars. It was an eye-opener. I'd always had the idea Ford would guess how many cars they needed and make that many. Now, now they decided to make green cars one day, and they'd make two or 3,000. Then they'd switch to some other color. But of course, that's not the way they do it. All over America, people walk into Ford dealerships, they look around, they kick a few tires, and then order a car, a certain model with specific equipment, color, color, roof, transmission. The dealer communicates the details, and then an order is placed with Ford. In one city, they may make the correct transmission. In another city, they may make vinyl roofs, and another mirrors. All these places start feeding their products toward the Ford plant. The Ford plant has a man who puts on steering wheels, the cars come down the lines, and when the green cars come, and you can bet he doesn't get a red steering wheel to put on, at exactly the right time, the green steering wheels are there. He reaches out and grabs one and sticks it on. That's what happens with each part. The mirror, the roof, the seat covers, every part shows up precisely the right instant. Now, if man is capable of designing such an ingenious system to bring thousands of events and people together with precision timing just to make a car, well, imagine what God can do in preparing his visit to earth. That's what I think of at Christmas. The number of things God brought together at one time and one place is so incredible. It makes the Ford plant look like the corner gas station. I love it. What a God that we worship today who at just the right time made sure the Savior of the world. It's staggering what he did. God, God didn't just decide one day to put a Band-Aid on a wounded world. No, he sent prophet after prophet to turn the people, turn the hearts toward him, and they kept killing his prophets. And he finally said, then I'll send my son. But they killed him too. And because they killed him, after being three days in the ground, God raised him up. He brought him back to life. And now he ascended, he, then he ascended to heaven. And now he reigns in heaven. And the whole earth is his footstool, the Bible says. And we get to know him today and invite him into life and to walk with him. That baby was laid in a manger wrapped in cloths. He was wrapped in prophecy. He was wrapped in history. But he was also wrapped in mystery. What is it that we are really thinking about today? This fact that God came in visible human form. We gross, have you grown too accustomed to it? It happens, you know. We get so used to it. The Christmas season, what goes on with it, the facts of it all. We, we kind of grow cold. We kind of grow blasé to it all. It's just a mere fact. And we fail to be stunned again at what happened. We need to massage it again. 
we need to revisit the wonder of all this, that God is moved with anguish to the point of this broken world, to the point that he has to do something. How can God then come to this earth and be uncontaminated? How can he come and be and relate to us in some way without being contaminated? And so he did come. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal, came to this decision. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became man. God linked two natures together. All God, all, all deity, while all, no less humanity, yet all humanity without being less deity. Some would say that's too much of a stretch. Not if you believe God's the creator of the world, creator of the whole universe. If you believe a master designer brought all this into existence, don't you think he can handle the wonder of Christmas as well? He can. Don't, don't grow stale. Don't dare do that. Don't go through this season just with the same spirit of anybody else. Be captivated again by it all. Maybe Charles Wesley poetically wrote it best for us. We sing it every year. Christ by highest heavens adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come. Offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Man, imagine if he came today, if this was the perfect time. Imagine the hype. I mean, if iPhone gets the ad campaign it gets, imagine God becoming flesh and what it may look like. Of course, it would, and we're Gentiles, so we would know about it. There are a couple of Gentiles that were included in the Christmas message when the Magi from the East came, probably Persians who came. It was a, a precursor to the fact that later on the Jew, that the uh, Gentiles would be brought into the Christmas message and the hope of the Savior. But not at first. He first came for the Jews. The Jews, because they should have understood all this. They should have been so ready and so eager. Every one of them should have been captivated by the birth, but they weren't because they were expecting this political Savior. Tro troops and armies. No, it didn't happen that way. This baby was silently delivered. The nursery was common stable. The crib, just a common feeding trough for animals. When God did decide to make it known, he did slip out in the countryside for a bit and sent his messenger to the heavens. And these shepherds were terrified, these Bedouins. When the glory of the Lord shone around them, but they were so intrigued, they went to find this baby just where they, they said they were told they'd find him, wrapped in cloths and wrapped in prophecy and wrapped in history and wrapped in mystery. They heard him cry that night. Imagine the first one to hear him cry was just this teenage girl who carried God's child. What was it like for her, for Joseph? to be away from home and experience all this. It's hard to get our heads around it. Be stunned again. In 24 days, that's all you got left. We're going to celebrate this night of nights. 
Will it have made any difference this year? That we've worshiped together and that we've been together and we've celebrated together? I enjoy all the features of Christmas. I'm glad we decorate. I'm glad for the lights. I am glad we have outings. I, I'm, I'm, I love the Christmas carol. Scrooge. I don't like him, but I like the play. You know, uh, I, I mean, I like, I like it all. There's not one part I don't like. But within all that, it's the wonder that has to captivate our hearts once again. On a, back in 06, I think it was, it was when the Challenger exploded. It was a sad day for our country and for NASA, for space exploration, and certainly for the families of those seven brave astronauts who lost their lives. And remember, it was that evening, I think it was the same day, that President Reagan gave a magnificent speech. And you remember he closed it by saying that they had passed out of the surly bonds of earth and touched the face of God. It's a very poetic thing to say, a very appropriate thing to say, a very beautiful and lovely thing to say. But it actually happened 2,000 years ago when God became flesh. It was then that humanity actually touched the face of God. So let me close by these words from Jesus' dearest friend, John the Apostle. Later in the first century... John would write this, these opening words of his letter to the churches. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it, testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father who has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Let me give you three challenges for this Christmas season based on this text. Three, three words that jumped out of the page to me that I want to carry with me. The first one is testify in verse 2. Testify. Figure it out. How can you testify to the goodness of God and your faith in him this Christmas season to people around you? Don't be preachy. Don't be obnoxious. Don't be condescending. Don't be negative. Don't, don't, don't heap judgment. I'm not saying that. Just find a way to, with words, let it be known that your faith is real and you believe in what happened on, on this Christmas night when Jesus was born. Testify. The second word I want to leave with you is the word fellowship in verse 3. Fellowship. Deepen your fellowship with God. Any of you going stale this season? Any of you mundane in your relationship with God, ordinary, usual, nothing's really happening? You can't really even name anything that God has, any way he's worked in your life the last six months. It's, you're pretty predictable. You'll be here every Sunday if it's convenient, but not much beyond this. Can I challenge you to be shaken a bit this year and go to a deeper level in your fellowship with God and fellowship with one another? That's what John's writing about, fellowship with him and fellowship with one another. Being with together with people. Let it take a deeper, carry a deeper note with it. And the last word, third word is in the last verse four, the word joy. Where's your joy level today? 
What kind of joy do you live with? Is it a joy that's real, that's rooted in the living Christ, the one who came to redeem you, that you may have life and have it abundantly in him? That's what God wants for us. That's why he came, that we could, we could be complete in him. Let this indescribable gift, this gift that came so specially wrapped, let this gift wrap your heart. And then you wrap yourself around your king and your Lord and give him your life and you'll never be disappointed in what he has for you. Let's pray. Our Father, there is none like you. And I pray, Father, you remind us again of who this one is that we worship, who this one is that we live for, whose government continues to increase in us and around the world. May it so be true, Father. May it not be in mere words, not in mere theology, but real words. To God be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.